Welcome everyone to the podcast and set. <laughs> this week, of course, my guest is Mr. Mike Cohen. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming down, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were talking briefly outside, and I've known you for 15 years now, yes, right? Yes, which is frightening. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've, I've known I've known people longer, but yeah, it's 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 a while. Uh, it, it's frightening just how fast it is. How fast it goes? Yes. Oh yeah. Because that doesn't make it. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's funny because we're we're back here at what is now the Pack Theater, uh, which is where you where I first saw you on stage was uh, at this space when it was Iowa West, and I think you had just either it was like the week. Or a month before you moved here. It was 15 years. It was like right in the ballpark of when I got here. Right. So you got here, and I remember we were in class, and uh, there was a show after class. And I don't I, I don't know. I don't think it was an Armando, but it was some kind of like heavy hitter show. And, uh, and the word around was like a new guy from Chicago just moved out. It sounds like the Old West, like a new gun was in town. But I remember you came out on stage, and I was like, this dude looks really intense. And you reminded me of Trotsky because you had that super had long the, weird beard. I had that. No, that was I, kind I, of like, it was like a, I can't grow a beard. Like, not at uh, all. Not at all. Uh, like right now, I'm, I haven't shaved in two weeks. So this is two weeks worth of face. Well, I need to shave. Sure. Uh, but I, I had actually tried to grow what I could at that point in my life. And it was just my chin. Yes. Only on my chin could hair grow in any sort of clump. You're like an acolyte of Ho Chi Minh because it was so long and kind of wispy, and your hair was going up too. You had a very it was, uh, you striked quite uh, an imposing figure. I looked like an idiot. Is what I looked ah, like. Right you know, I, that that bad facial hair and my hair was I, I hadn't cut my hair. I think that lasted. That didn't last real long out no, here. No, it didn't. Because I, I remember when <laughs> we finally moved over to the space that I was at now, and we were having a drink at the bar, and we had gotten known each other. It was about maybe a year later or so. And you kept doing that. You kept grabbing at your, your phantom beard to make a point, like, like an amputee, and there's nothing there. <laughs> but, so. man, I'm, I remember like when I first got out here, there were a lot of I remember like Pete Gardner was over here. You were still and, playing? Yeah. Uh, is the, all that crew, Kackner, Flynn. Yeah, it was... I feel like I kind of got like that last, like like lap of those guys doing shows every week and a few nights a week. The first good show I ever did uh, was at, we had we signed up for a cage match, and this is again when the IO was at this space, and it was just my classmates uh, who I, I don't know any of them anymore. They just kind of you know went into the ether as you do, and we signed up for it was against Bone Zebo. Is a team of Mike Coleman, Laura Kraft, Jeff Drake, Wendy Molyneux, like all these staggeringly good improvisers. And it was uh, funny to me that we were even going up against them because we're like, oh, this is ridiculous. They're amazing. Right. And it, that was the best gift because uh, we, were, we were just like, well, we're not going to win. And we're not even going to be near as good as they are. So all the pressure was off, which led to us having a really fun show. Um, and that was like the first time I walked out of a theater and someone said, good show to me. And not just, you know, right. that when you do a terrible show and people just like, kind of look at you like, Oh no, <laughs> what happened? I, I was, or, or it's that, Hey man, good show. <laughs> you know, you did it. Uh, you went up there and did that. Yeah. And I didn't. So right. you know, good on you. 
my wife has seen a lot of my shows now, and yeah, I'm in a good spot. Like most of the shows, I feel pretty good about. But uh, every once in a while, there'll be a dinger. Uh, we're not above it. And this is a, a while, uh, a year or so ago. But like we got back into the bar area, and Allison came up to me, and she kind of just put her arm on my shoulder, and she went, "Eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're out." I was just like, "Yeah, oof. that is cold from the wife." Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, you know. I think my wife is just. She's probably just. Maybe I don't know because I, I I don't think. Well, she has she doesn't see me a lot, okay. right? Because she's right. she's seen me plenty in, in, in her time in life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, sir, I mean, I've, she, she's seen me do tons of shows back in yes. Chicago and all that. Uh, yeah, I've known her for twenty two years. Uh, she's got seven years on. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I I can't remember her ever being like. Eh. <laughs> no, I mean, right? still, and there's been plenty of. Eh. Yeah, I can't. Look, Allison's more than supportive. Uh, so. No, she's not, apparently. You, 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 you hear guys, Allison? I need help. No. Um, this it, whole podcast is going to be about, it, let's straighten do, out Allison. When you do, be nicer to really, you. Really, let's, let's put some time aside. Uh, look, when you do a shitty show, eh, it's shitty. The key is, that took me, I don't know, a better part of a decade to come around to, was like to not to relax. It's a bad show. Who cares? Oh, yeah. Whereas, oh, my God, the self-flagellating I would do at a fucking improv show for sometimes 18, like half the amount of people in the room right now, uh, like did no good to me as a performer or an actor in any way. Took me 24 years to let go of that. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. just like five years ago that I finally let go of like, it's okay what just happened. I don't have to kill myself because of what happened on stage tonight yeah and you know i don't know if you'll remember this but one night at the bar uh this might have been uh it was past midnight so drinks had been had but like it was you gave me a compliment definitely uh, past midnight the, definitely past midnight <laughs> and it, it it was uh apropos of nothing this is at way past midnight but you said like hey you're all right you know what you're doing so just know it and uh, if you have a bad show, it's the show's fault. And then you went out for a cigarette or something like that. And that stayed with me for years now. I'm sure you don't even remember it. Oh, I don't remember that specific moment. I remember, like, that's the sort of thing, like, when I finally accepted what I've been teaching for years. Right. It was, you know, let let go of that. Don't think on stage. You know, play. Right. Uh, it, 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 it was shocking to me how much, because you caught me at the tail end of, at the beginning of my time out here and also at the tail end of my time at the IO West. Right. Uh, which you could attest to the fact that uh, I was clearly having at least as bad a time doing it as I was having a good time. Uh, they were, uh, yeah, at loggerheads. Yes. Your good times and bad times. Uh, so I, so I, I had to, to leave that. And right. in doing so, you know, I, I found a place where I could, oh, wait a minute. Who created your place, which is even more... I created, well, I started creating this place, but more so I started, you know, surrounding myself with people, uh, who basically I think were of similar minds and basically supported right. that idea. Uh, where was I, I going with this? Oh, I was thinking, cause you, you were saying, cause I remember seeing you, like, you were one of the first guys who, you know, semi hounded me about when are you going to teach? When are you going to teach? Yeah. Cause I was, I, I wanted to teach outside the program. I just, Got out here, so I was teaching inside the program in some capacity. And I said, "All right, I'll do a workshop." 
Uh, and you were one of the first guys in that. And I remember you always being good. Uh, you were never like, I mean, you were always good. I, was, I mean, I tried my best to say, here's what I can, but yeah. here's what I can to try and help. Uh, but you were always good. Well, um, you know, that's very nice of you to say, and thank you. But it's also, it's, it's a weird thing. It, it's internalizing that and then being comfortable with it is another thing that I think you had said in one of your workshops that you might have been quoting Susan Messing of one of the most important things when you get out on stage is to just be comfortable on stage. It isn't jacking yourself up. It's standing on a blank stage in the quiet moment before the show starts and just being comfortable and being comfortable in a scene. If I, I don't think I've ever said that. Uh, I, I may have said something similar. It's like I'm my, the things I say that I got from Susan, which is similar to that. It isn't, I don't talk about that moment. I talk about the first thing you need to decide in general is that you belong. Yes. Uh, that takes care of a lot of bullshit. Right. You, you stop worrying about, should I even be here? Yes. Because we all deserve the same shot. Right. Uh, and that shot, by the way, is lifelong. You get to keep trying till you're fucking dead. Yes. Uh, the other thing I, I get from the annoyance I get from Mick, which that reminds me of, which is, I always love this quote because it, it meant I didn't have to do warm-ups anymore. Uh, <laughs> Because warm-ups were the one thing, like zip zaps off or right. some whatever game you fucking make up to try and get to get your energy up. Mick said to me once, high energy is just a decision. And that struck me clear as a bell. I was like, yeah, you just de decide and go. I'm like, you're right. High energy is it's a decision. I don't have to fucking warm up anymore. <laughs> right. Although you do. If the team's doing it, then you should do it then for, for the good of the team. Right. I, I, right. <laughs> because I, I have gone through the same kind of like, uh, agree, disagree with the, the warming up thing. Like for a while, I don't know, you've been doing it for 15 years. You're like that portion of your improv life where you're just uh, kind of a dick about your perform. Like you're right, everyone's wrong. Because I remember I was on a team for a while and we were complaining about not warming up. And I made like, some team meeting or whatever it was. And I was like, we don't need to warm up. We should just be ready to go. You think beer shark mice warms up? And I'm just like, right. you know what? Maybe three people really wanted to warm up and I could have shut the fuck up <laughs> and just played along. Right. But I had to like stake my flag. Like I really give that much of a fuck about it. Like, does it matter? Just clap a little bit. And if like everyone's good with it, then great. We might even have a better show. Yeah, It's, it's like pick your battles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I think it's, it's probably a good idea in general, you know, to be kind. But I know yes. exactly what you're talking about as far as stuff like that. And I think everyone goes through it to where, you know, they probably think they know a little bit more than they do, right, at, 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 at some point. And at the same time, to me, like warming up. <laughs> there is a band. That's our band for the night, which is someone's <laughs> phone. Someone's fucking phone. Uh Warming up was actually detrimental to me right? as a player because warming up, and I always said it, and I say it jokingly, only, I don't, I say it, it seems jokingly, but it was true. Warming up was the one thing in improv that made me feel stupid. Right, because you think you have to be funny or it's that kind yeah, of like, like goofy, put, like, you know. It's like, why are we doing, why are we doing this? I'm not doing it for energy. Right. It, it, it looks, it feels like a competition around this circle for who's, who can come up with the funniest fucking thing to say. And yes, and uh, a lot of times. And then it would piss me off going into the show because the shit from the warm up would inevitably wind up in the goddamn show, even though it has nothing to do with the fucking show. 
Right. God damn it. See, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't bug me as much because it's just kind of floating. It's the soup in your head. Like if something comes into your show from like earlier in your day, that's for me just as valid. Well, no, it is. I mean, cause it's one of those things where the what's on your mind right. is inevitably going to be connected to it. should be. Yeah. Back in the day when I, I used to consider this cheating when like when the family was doing heralds and things, uh, I used to like before the show, I would read like a cool short story or a poem that I thought was kind of dark. Right. And I would fill my mind with that before the show so that in the show, if I made a connection to something that was on my mind, it would be to one of those things. Cause so, cause to me, why right before I go on stage do I want to fill my mind with the most asinine game I can think of? Right. Yeah. I, I see that, but your mind is already full. What do you mean? It's already full. Your mind is already full of the however old you are years of experience. All right. So just because you read, you know, 14 lines of some sad dude no, before but, show no, but doesn't the, mean now it's full. No, but the thing is, <laughs> but, but that's the last thing in your mind. So your mind's more more conscious of that. I see it, that. It, it, it's the same thing like when you do an opening and some, some, or you're doing, you're, you, you do a warm-up, right? Right. And there's some bit in the warm-up that's funny. Yeah. And that sticks in your mind. When you're on stage, all of a sudden... Something makes you connect to that thing in the warm up because right. it just happened. Exactly right. Uh, so that's what, was, that's what I was talking about as far as that I, makes sense. And again, I considered it, you know, like, hey, I've cheated because I, I read this cool poem today right. that, I'm, that I've been thinking about to make sure that's the last thing in my mind before I go on stage. See, I like, I like the idea of connecting before a show. That's where I, I've landed because I, I think a lot of times and when you're starting out, you're, you're, dealing with your own nerves and insecurities and you and if i just jack up my opening they'll go away and you're you know, you're screaming at yourself to calm down and not be afraid mm -hmm. um and you know and maybe you can put a mask and a blanket over your fear and just get out on stage and then you'll be fine and sometimes that works uh what i i like and i think rizowski said this of like playing with a quiet mind so when you and you it, and it kind of dovetails with the thing you said before during when, in one of your workshops, which was uh, oftentimes you'll come at least half the times you'll come out on stage neutral. Right. So when you have like a quiet mind and you're neutral, then your your receptors are open to hear what your scene partner is giving you. Right. So then that way you get to access all the data and emotions and memories and character choices that are already in your brain. There, they're already there all the time. It's why you're funny with your friends or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever. It's why you're this living, breathing human, you know, kind of art machine gun, right? Because you're available. So, so that's why I'm like, all right, whatever warm up you guys want to do, fuck it, it's fine. Or like, whatever, however, we can connect and kind of get together before we walk out on stage and kind of create this thing together. I think, I think it's absolutely true. It's like, I, I just didn't like certain warm ups. That, many, that yeah. made that felt like a competition, and, and a lot yes. of that was the case. But there absolutely, was, there was cause I, like for the family, the way we warmed up was basically we'd argue, yeah, uh, you know, and once to the point of a fight, uh, <laughs> right before the show. But the thing is, that we were arguing about stuff that meant stuff to us, All right? And there are certain warm-ups, yeah. like when like when me and Heather played, our, our we didn't really, we didn't warm up, but before the show, generally she would describe a bunch of really uh, violent anime to me. Yes, uh, and and, I, and I'd be like, okay, because you know that's, a, that's something that's it's interesting. It's something we both could connect on, right? Uh, yeah, I think, and that's a warm up. Well, yeah, that, that, well, is, that it, is that it's, is that it's is. A something for the group. 
even if it was just two of you to, right. to connect on. Right. Uh, and absolutely for newer groups, to me, I would just, I would caution, like, don't do warm-ups that feel like a competition. Uh, do warm-ups that, you know, that make you feel more like you're part of something larger than yourself and that make you relaxed. Right. Uh, yeah. I, again, going back to walking on stage, relaxed. Uh, and it's funny you're talking about the, when you said you have access to your whole mind. <clears throat> it's, I always think you don't. I, I, I tend to think, uh, it's hard. And this is like probably, although to me, I, th- I think it's, it's, I think it's science, but it also sounds kind of hippie-ish when I say it. Uh, to me, like we are a consciousness. Like I am a consciousness that is aware of what my brain holds. Right. Meaning, cause if you think about it, uh, I can only access what I want to say in like that moment. And I can say that. I can't in a moment be aware of everything I possibly know. Correct. Right. And what's great about that to me as an improviser is when I stand there neutral, I don't have to think because all I have to do is let my mind perceive stimuli. And whatever, in this case of a scene, it's the, the beginning of the scene, an opening line, a character, a gesture, whatever it is, as soon as my mind perceives that, usually visually or orally, mm-hmm. then it reacts. Right. And it offers me something. And my job as an improviser is just to say whatever the fuck that was. Right. Uh, not to try and figure it out, not to try and be better than I am and think of something else. That's where you try to be funny. And that's, yeah, that's, that's where you try and be funny. That's where you're trying right. to be faster than you are right then. Right. Uh, so you just, you say that and that, then they say something else and you just keep doing that. Yeah. It's that thing when people say, when you tell someone you're an improviser and invariably someone be like, oh, I could never do that. I'm not quick on my feet. And I think that's a misnomer. You shouldn't be, it's not about being quick. It's about making an immediate choice. It's about being effective because when, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone, no one's like, God, you're so quick. It's like, no, I'm listening to you and I'm responding because we're two humans. Right. You know, and in the mining of the humanity, the two people, and then the things you learn about heightening and dynamic and, and, and status and all that stuff, when all that kind of braids together, then you have yourself a scene. Right. And as far as, as far as the individual goes to me, like if someone who's just starting out, like I might, uh, actually be what be, what might be called quicker than them. Right. Right. Uh, but to me, that's just the result of training because when I started, I wasn't quick, uh, God. at all. I, I, and I wasn't clever. And I noticed over years, I, I remember like not being in an improv, but being socially among friends who I knew to be faster and more clever than me. Right. You know, suddenly didn't seem that much faster or more clever than me. It's like, what a wonderful side effect yes. to basically training your mind to do that simple thing of right. listen, react, and do something and explore that. Yeah. And in that exploration, the years pile up and the experiences pile up. Right. Uh, and so your mind keeps offering you newer and newer things. There, uh, I didn't read, uh, uh, Nerd. well, no, cause I, I say this when I teach, um, uh, the Ray Bradbury flowers, uh, no dandelion wine. So, uh, I read it and I stopped reading it cause I, I just lost interest, but the back cover had a really interesting, uh, uh, little bit about Ray Bradbury. And apparently when, uh, in preparation of writing dandelion wine, he would pour himself an iced tea and he would sit at his typewriter and he would look out, it was in a summer home. And he'd look out at like the, the the view he had that was really nice, and he would just let his mind reflect on his life 
And he said that he had all these old memories that he and people he hadn't thought of in years. All these things came rushing back to him. And then that's what led him to write the book. But that's that kind of calm that allows your brain to give you the things that it already has, I think is essential when you walk out on stage and when you rehearse and when you when you even pick up uh, pages of dialogue, because that's what's going to fill your scene. Whatever I, scene you're doing, I, so. I, I absolutely agree. It's funny what, what you said reminds me. It's like I've never been a big reader, uh, which just seems it's even saying it just sounds dumb. Like, <laughs> like, like well, that's a dumb thing to, to be. Uh, but what I have been good at throughout my life is like I, I think I think I replaced reading in like my teens by listening to people that were smarter than me. Right. Like you know, really listening and learning from them. Uh, and but still not reading. Uh, but what I would do is I'd sit and think. Uh, as far as, I think I think not enough. I think people don't generally reflect enough. Uh, just no. to, to examine, you know, examine their life or examine something. Uh, I remember e- even as a kid, like I had friends early in my life. Say by the time I was nineteen, I had friends that had like traveled the world already. It was just like it was crazy. They'd seen so much. Uh, and they they claim to learn so much from traveling the world and all that, and I'm sure there was there was something to that. But at the same time, I couldn't help but th- sometimes I was like, well, that's kind of bullshit because you, you, one, you can drop the Australian accent. Uh, you you didn't pick you didn't you don't have an Australian accent no, now because you were there for a month. Uh, <laughs> but I I always thought you could just sit and think about almost anything right. forever. Yeah. Because you could just keep examining it and taking it apart and seeing how it connects. I think that's kind of how my mind's always been. It's always I, think, I, I can think about a simple thing forever. Do you find yourself any in, in, in those moments being like, oh, all right, I got to get up off the table? Like, because that's a rabbit hole that you can get too deep in, like a Miles K hole. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, for some stuff, as far as like, if you, your, your mind starts, because your mind just starts automatically making connections and connections and connections if you're right. exploring and you're thinking. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. But if you're like, if the, the, the record is scratched and you're just stuck on that one groove, I mean that, and especially for an actor and an improviser, that can, that can be dangerous territory. Right. I don't generally get stuck in one groove, but that's, I... I, I do get to places where I'm just like, this is just upsetting me now. Yes. Like my own thinking. Right. I'm, I'm just sitting here now pissing myself off. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, l- let's change it up to something else. And I'll, I'll shift my focus to something else. Right. Uh, but I, I'm still, I always, part of me always feels ashamed of the fact that I never read more. Yeah. Well, like I've read some, right? I, I'm not, like if people who know what I've read would say, you, you've read stuff. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but no, because I know people who read. Like, and th- that's reading stuff. Uh, it's like, cause I, I gave my father, it was one of the happiest things. I was, I, I had a, I had a good half year, uh, a handful of years back, and I bought my father an, uh, an iPad 2. Very nice. Right. And he, he's a computer guy to begin with. Uh, but he'd never had an Apple anything. He was always a PC guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm very much like him in the, that sort of thinking thing. He had, he probably has the original PC that he bought and he's been rebuilding it. Right. Like he keep, he does his own upgrades. He gets in there and takes it apart and been, been rebuilding. I, I bought him this iPad and he could not stop talking about it for years. 
He was just like, wow, what this thing can do. It it can do this. It can do this. It can do this. I mean, he's going to learn everything that thing can do. (laughs) But the primary thing he uses it for is books. Right. He says, I can read the great books of the world anywhere I want to. I can just, they're free on this thing. And so he just reads. Yeah. Reads and reads and reads. Uh, Meanwhile, I was outside trying to catch Pokemon. <laughs> I once got my mom. This is when I was young, and I just started getting, uh, giving gifts. So, uh, but I once gave my mother for Christmas a can opener, and I just thought of that like it's such a bad gift to your mother. And what I thought was this is dating, but like this years ago, it was the one that you could uh, uh, screw into the counter it was, so it was like the convenience of it was magnetized and you could put it up right there and open. yeah and you didn't you, Mom, you don't have opener. to go open the drawer anymore when you need to open a can for me mm-hmm. and it was only i was just old enough to know when she opened it that it was a mistake all right you know because you know when you're a young kid like breakfast in bed and it's terrible but you don't care because you did something i don't i i must have been 12 or 13 or so just old enough to know like the second, I'm like, oh wait a minute, I got my mom a can opener, and now right. she's good. Now it's all gone. Oh, I ruined Christmas. Oh, I, I can definitely beat you there. Uh, when I, when I was a kid, I had, I was allotted I think ten dollars to buy a Christmas present, probably for one of my siblings. Right. Right. Uh, and I was pretty small, but still, I wasn't small enough to get away with what I did. I took that ten dollars. And I kept maybe five of it. <laughs> and I think I spent $5 buying everyone in the family a present at a coin store. So I bought each of my older brothers. I have three older brothers and two sisters and two parents. Now, I think I brought each of my older brothers an old key. <laughs> like, this is an old... That opened old, nothing? That, that opened nothing. It was just like an old key... But it was it was old, so it had character, I suppose. But did it look like like a la- like a old Sherlock's Holmesian like kind of like yeah? I mean, it, it, it had the it was, they were old skeleton keys. Okay, you know, All but right. but to nothing. Right. Uh, and I bought I think my thing I think I bought my father a weird pencil. How old were you? I was probably seven. Oh, this is adorable. No, no, no. Adorable. No, you, seven years old. No, I, 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 and actually, I think, I think I actually ran out of money that I was willing to spend. And for my sisters, I might have taken stuff out of their room and, and wrapped it. And even then, I took crappy stuff. Like, I, like I didn't take something nice that they'd miss. I just found like a pen. Oh, for some reason, it was pens, pencils, and keys for Christmas. Very easy to wrap. That year. And I think that's why, I mean, I, I was called like the rat in my family. The rat. The, for a lot, for a, a lot, for a lot of years after that. That's a very young age to give someone the moniker, the rat. Seven. <laughs> Seven. It was a pretty shitty gifts. Uh, they are shitty gifts. I remember I was, I was way too old for this. Uh, this is, this is embarrassing. I was probably, Damn near in high school, right? So I'm some eighth grade, not probably not quite in high school yet, probably seventh, eighth grade. Right. But that's 13, 14 years old, right? right? And I found a weed in the backyard that I got kind of fascinated with. It was, oh, I skinned it and had, it was, I was able to bend the shaft of it. And I, I bent it and kind of tied the ends together and made a sort of weird letter D. And I gave it to my father saying, 
Here, Dad, I made you this D What's your for first Dad. D? Oh, for Dad. For okay. Dad. I remember my father took it, gave me a look, like, that, that just, without saying a word, here's a look that said, you're way too fucking old to be making me the letter D out of weeds in the yard. You don't get away with this. So he gave me that look and said, thanks, Miles, and put it down. <laughs> And in that moment, I mean, it was the same thing. In that moment, right. I was like, I'm way too fucking old well, to, to have this. done this what is... I just did, and I can't undo it. No, but that's a lesson. That's a good note your father gave you. <laughs> yes, I, I learned that day yeah. not to do that anymore. That's the thing of, uh, about notes. Like, <laughs> they, uh, you know, to bring that in. Yeah, bring it back in. Nice. Uh, that was nice. That was sweet. You like that? That was sweet. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that they hurt. They sting, and you almost need to take a class on how to take notes. Because, like, when you first get them, uh, it, they're very like when you first start doing improv, uh, and you get on your first team or whatever, you don't know what you're doing, and so the notes kind of mostly bounce off anyway. Um, but like when you get, I don't know, a little bit older into your improv uh, work, um, then you, I don't know. I think your your shields can come up a little bit, and you can kind of miss what someone's telling you. Or, and, uh, they can just fucking lay you out. I remember Tellerico gave me a note once, and I think it was, Mike, you just have to stop. <laughs> like, And then I think my brain just shut off, and I was right. just like, oh, I fucking ruined the show. <laughs> it's like, and he was right. I, was, I think I was in all the first three scenes and then started the group game of, like, enough. Would you fucking relax? It's so funny because I, I don't, as you said that, I was thinking, I don't think I've ever had a note that I didn't like enjoy as far as because although also also when when I came through, there were no real notes until I got to Dell, right? Everything else was kind of like, hey, that was pretty good, and yeah, that was pretty good. Right. No one ever said, hey, that was fucking dumb what you just did. Right. Uh, but Dell did. It was the first thing he said to me. Like, what the hell are you doing? Right. Uh, the first thing he said to me about my work. Right. Uh, so he la- he laid into me, but I was like, wow, he's right. Yeah. And I just fucking learned something. That was great. Yes. Uh, so there weren't a lot of people given that kind, those kind of notes back, back, back then. You were going to say something to me. Well, I just remembered this note that Tom Purcell gave me once. It was one of those where, like, I heard it and he was right, and I just did this. I was doing a scene with Thomas Fowler, who is probably the funniest guy I've ever played with. Uh, I adore watching Thomas, and, and any chance I get to play with him. Uh, and he was doing this one scene and fucking just killing it. And just everyone was slaying laughter. And I was just facilitating. I was just literally handing right. him meatballs. And so we're getting notes afterwards. And Tom is giving Thomas. And then he gets to me and he's like, yeah, Mike. Yeah. In the scene, like I saw both of you guys. And then kind of like you were just kind of like pixelating and kind of just disappearing. <laughs> Until like you kind of weren't even there. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, you're right. And, but at the uh, same time, at the same time, hearing you describe, it sounds like you did exactly what you're supposed to do. As far as like, if 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 this guy, if Tom's on a on a on a roll, which he was, and he's got something, then if I'm in that scene, my job is to only say anything that's fucking needed. Yeah. Yes. But then there is the difference, like the difference of the straight man being ju- just like. I don't know, the, the automatic door opening thing where the person just steps on it and opens the door as opposed to an active member in the scene as well being affected. Right. You know, and that's where the, the, I think that really uh, heightens the straight man of like, 
whatever the absurd character is doing and, and if they're really killing it, the straight person is still living through that experience. Right. And so they have to be affected by that. And then in their affectation of that, they're adding more information, whether about themselves, their history, right. or the other character's history. And I wasn't doing that at so all. I was more just like, maybe if I go back to this napkin space work, my scene will come to me. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> uh, but well, you know, I'm not, I, well, I'm just thinking we're going to run out of time for for, for for talking, and we didn't cover it. Like, I don't know if anyone out there knows this or not, uh, but Mike was on a, a phenomenal team at iOS called Trophy Wife, among other things. He plays it in the Armando show over there, and has for a year. You probably played that Armando show for a decade, right? Maybe now, right? Yeah. So I mean, this is this is one of the one of the better players in town. So if you, you find him playing somewhere. Definitely check them out. Before we get to playing, I just want to open the audience for any questions you may or may not have. Any questions at all? Yes, sir. Uh, so you've been around town for a while. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with people who are very like, negative and like dogmatic with like, their improv? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It seems like you have <laughs> a lot of uh, experience with that. I yeah, I mean... <laughs> People are going to think what they're going to think and then they'll come around to thinking that like dogma isn't going to help. Right. So you're not going to be able to control that. And, and just like, all right, man, cool. That's what you think. Like there is no one rule. I don't know if you guys saw uh, Keegan Michael Key and uh, Stephen Colbert on his show last night and they were talking about improv and uh, like the only rule being, uh, just uh, agree. Just agree and add. Agree and add. Agree and add. And that's it. That's it. Everything else, more game focus, more relationship focus, whatever that is, um, some scenes demand more gameplay. Some scenes demand uh, more relationship play. Some demand both in equal measure. But you're not going to know until you're in that scene. Um, so people are going to be dicks. But then, you know, maybe in six months they won't be <clears> a dick anymore. And if, some, if, if, if someone's focusing on, on anyone's dogma too much then they're not playing uh I, I always enjoyed the question in class uh when someone says how do you play with someone who doesn't know your stuff because i have a lot of stuff oh god right and i said oh you mean like heather because she doesn't know my stuff like how do i play i listen i give them what i think they want right. uh basically like i have a lot of stuff and, and some people might focus on that too much and say and that becomes their dogma i'm like no that's just how you study that's how you learn. That's how you come to understand it. And that's, that's a way to think about it. But it's not the way to play. The way to play is exactly what you say. You get on stage. I listen to you. You listen to me. We say something. Right. Yeah, and everyone's got different styles. Everyone has different... And that's in every facet of life, sports, whatever. Like, some people are power hitters. Some people get on base. Like, you know, some people are in a great hardcore band. And some people are in folk. Like it does. Like everything, nothing is more valid than the other thing. So, anything else? One more. Have you ever had like a like an improv aha moment, like that moment where you're like, I you know, like I trust the fact that I've gone that I've been doing studying this and now I can let it all go. And, oh my god, it works. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I was on a team called Cog at IO for a while. Uh, that was a great you. team. Thank you. It was uh, uh, a special experience, uh, to say the least. Um, and I was – a scene it edited or me and Mike Petrano were doing a scene. And uh, and I was racked with insecurity and in my head about choices and stuff like that. And for some 
divine reason if you think i don't know whatever something happened in my brain where i told myself to shut up and just listen to mike and he'll take care of his end and then i'll just listen and respond and everything chilled and i did that and then i was just affected by what bertrando was doing and then we added the scene and it was really fun and then we got edited and then the show went on and i was just my one part it's a thing of like taking the pressure off of like that you have to you know, do more than what is expected of you. You just got to do your part. And someone, everyone else is going to help. And then you'll have a show next week. And then the week after that. <laughs> All right. That's great. I think we'll end there. Yes. All right. What's going to happen now? Me, me and Mike are going to do about 25 minutes to 30 minutes of long-form improvisation. And all of you to get us started is a suggestion of anything at all. Birthday. Birthday. Before you say anything, just know that 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 wasn't my intention. Just I got I got beat up. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I do. Clear. I didn't I didn't plan this for you to get beaten up. I wanted you to have a, a good time. I wanted you to have a good day. I just I, I'm sorry. I just put maybe I put too much pressure on myself. But you're oh, beaten again. Just. It's coming. It's better if you hold it. That woman showed up at my door. I know. She was in lingerie. I know. <laughs> she came in. Right. She took off a coat. Yeah. She looked great. Right. And then some guy came in and beat the hell out of me. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, some of that was what they brought. That was like they they had their own issues that maybe spilled into it. Uh, I didn't know. When you when you hire an exotic dancer, you, there isn't like a Yelp. I couldn't do like a search of like her history. Like I just had uh, it was just more of a cartoon or a harlequin of her. And I know that you, you know you're like I'm. Well, thanks for Jeff. I'm sorry. I'm thanks, sorry. Thanks for trying, Dad. Okay. It's all right. At least at least he tried. Well, this year. I mean, <laughs> I know it's. It hasn't been an easy year, but hard times build character. And, and my life is, is a circle unfolding, as is yours. And um, I don't have any money. This isn't about money. I mean, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that guy seemed to think it was about money. He said he came in, he said he wasn't paid. And he beat the hell out of me. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to pay before she danced. I mean, that's just dumb. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, you want like you weren't here. No, I, I was that. How creepy would that be? Your dad sitting in the corner while you were enjoying the classic burlesque. What was it? <laughs> I mean, come on. What was this creepy? Some dude holding me on the floor, punching me, saying, "This is from your father." <laughs> that can't be. I didn't. I didn't want him to punch you. Okay. Okay. I was just. I'm fine. This doesn't have to ruin your birthday. Okay? Because it's it's not over yet. Hold on. Sit if you like. Yeah, I want to sit. I'll be right there. You know, you should probably elevate your feet. Are you making something? 
Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, <laughs> dear Jeffy. Say that. 
Let's also say, Mom stayed and raised me, and you took off to be a roadie for Steely Dan. Among <laughs> other bands. <laughs> who, what, who, yes. else, who, else, who else were you a roadie for? Poco. <laughs> Poco? Not a lot of, not a lot of FM hits, but a, a really dedicated following. <laughs> you work at Poco now. Yeah, who are you working to? Never asked that. Okay. <laughs> you work at Poco. No kids. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the same guy from the first. <laughs> Look, they're, they're all cut from the same cloth, man. Look, I'm sorry, honestly, I'm sorry I wasn't around, okay? I'm, and your mother did a kick-ass job raising you. Like, you have no arrests. That's awesome. That's that awesome. shouldn't be like a huge, like, way to go. We're not going to arrest you by the time you're 19. I don't know. I didn't get arrested because mom raised me well. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Look, yes, that's I, awesome. When I was 19, I learned how to make crack cocaine. <laughs> that's, a, that's a stupid thing. That's a, it's a skill, but I learned how to do it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go on the road for a while. I don't want to leave you without a trade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to teach my boy how to do some cooking. Okay. Oh, great. That's great. Yeah. Oh, God. All right, first we're, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna need some some of your chemistry stuff. <laughs> oh. oh, so this isn't for 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 breakfast, lunch, or dinner? It could be. Strampo <laughs> 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 was an asshole. <laughs> he, was, he was a different man. Hey, man, your grandfather, I accepted him for the the being he is, and he is. Don't you see what happened? He left and missed most of your childhood. All I did was teach you how to make crack. <laughs> All right. and, and crank. All right, he taught you how to make some fucking street drugs. All right? Then he left. And then you did that to me. Why? Well, I see what you're saying. <laughs> this is just occurring to you? Yes. Well, I hadn't put it together. All right, all right, all right. Before we go any further... Into analyzing your life, I want to suggest one thing. Yeah. Let's eliminate how we were raised <laughs> and how we treat those we love. <laughs> okay. So, is anything wrong with your life? I missed the bus once. That's not so bad, is it? No. That's not so bad. <laughs> Your shrink is a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he had a leather... He, he ruled out the, the thing that affects you the most in growing up and how you actually behave toward the world that surrounds you. He said that's overrated. <laughs> that's dumb. What? You're 19. He is not 19. He was way older than 19. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't mean he can't say something dumb. He sounds like a fucking idiot. Look, man, I feel like I made a lot of progress. Look, this is your birthday. If you want to spend it just, like, rehashing bullshit and continuing to bleed out of your nose, then that's on you. <laughs> All right? But I can go out there and I can still find a way to have some fucking fun. 
Fine, once you do that, all right, man? If I go, you leave me with this fucking clearly 7-Eleven bought cake. It's two 7-Eleven cakes smushed together. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the ass-kicking of the shitty cake, Dad. Look, the, the, the ass-kicking, again, not planned. But still your fault. I don't know if it's my fault. I didn't kick you out. I just said, make sure my son doesn't get hands. Better now. All right. I gotta say, I think someone's buying me one. <laughs> smooth, uh, smooth as silk, which is also your name. <laughs> Listen, I have a son, and I'm not very fond of him. Wow, I've never seen or felt a stripper with such heavy, heavy hands. <laughs> blood is made of lead. Yes. There you go. So. No, she's dancing up there. Classically trained. <laughs> yeah, classically trained. <laughs> Just saying, if you do, do you do house calls? I do whatever I need to do. <laughs> well, if it's not too much to ask, tomorrow night is my son's 19th birthday. All right, and I noticed the fellow over there, yeah, like he was kind of. <laughs> Just like, I don't know, you two had a connection or anything. Oh, talk. <laughs> go through, gut. Go through him. Okay. So. Hey, man. What do you need? Oh. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Silk over there. All right. That's, that's five bucks. <laughs> um, can you, can you? Yeah, thanks. No. <laughs> Get it. No change? That looks like a five to me. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, look, uh, it's my son's birthday tomorrow. It's turning 19. I was wondering if maybe so great. could go over there, maybe do some of that shantusing. And, uh, you know, oh, you want to hire Silk to dance for your kid? Yeah. Five hundred. Dollars? <laughs> yeah, dollars. Well, I mean... What, she's not worth five hundred? No, it's just I just saw her dance to... Yeah, she's classically trained. <laughs> but I just came in here, paid that guy at the door ten bucks, and I threw two ones on, on the stage, and I, I, I watched her dance to Silent Lucidity, which is a right, weird choice. Right, right. <laughs> 488. What the? I'll knock off the ten and the two. <laughs> I see what's happening. Since it's a house call, I'm sure there's like a little, little wrist candy involved. What is risk game? One little tug of war. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm trying to be a little subtle. My son, Silk is going to dance. I think maybe there might be a little touch, 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 little touch. Oh, a little touchy? Yeah, I just for four hundred and eighty-eight dollars. Yeah, that's some of it. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Just make sure. My son, you know, I still want it to be classy on the up and up, you know, but... Hey, what about that isn't classy? Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anyone with an onyx tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought it that. Oh, did you? Yeah. It, it, uh, it really refracts the, the light. All right. What time do you want over there? Uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, great. You pay. After. Before. Well, when do you do that? What? 
Like, I will pay. I'm going to be there at 7. I'm going to let her go in, and if I'm not paid by 701, I'm going to beat the shit out of your kid. <laughs> I'm sure I can make it work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, I've always been an optimist, uh, and, and to my detriment, uh, for sure. Uh, I thought I, I, I think things are going to work out, so I rolled the dice, and uh, and clearly some things happened. So, so that's on me. Do you even have four hundred eighty-eight dollars uh, together? No. <laughs> so why would you enter into that arrangement? Again, uh, I. I Optimistically, I thought it would work, and I thought, there's no way he'd do that. He seemed like a nice fellow. He bought her an onyx tooth. There's no way. I didn't think there was violence in him. No, it was all right? All right. Just go, Dad. Uh, what? Okay. All right. Well, you know, I tried, and I failed. Yeah, well, you're good at that. Maybe I'll see you next year. Or, yeah, maybe. My cell phone, I'm between burners at the moment, so when I get a new one, I'll make sure you get the number, and you know, maybe we can between burners. I'm not on <laughs> a plan, per se, so usually I go from portable cell phone to cell phone. Okay, Dan. Anyway, well, uh, I still had a nice time. That's what he gave me, Ma. Shitty cake. You were right. I shouldn't have let him in the house. What did I say? I don't want to. to what did I say? But what did I say? He hired some kind of burlesque prostitute. Yeah. So fucking dope. He hired some kind of burlesque prostitute from over, and then her, her her pimp came in and beat the hell out of him. Did you touch her? No, I didn't have a chance to. Was no. Okay. I didn't order her, Ma. He did. I'm aware. I just see the way. You, I know you're 19, and I see the way you look oh, at cashiers. Oh, don't, don't start that. The way you act. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes you don't know when to break a glance. <laughs> they're momentary. <laughs> Jeff, they're momentary. Can we talk about? Can we not talk about that right I'm now? I'm just saying that. Why would you marry that bag of shit? <sighs> well, you didn't know him then. He was very, he was very, very, he, very charming. He had a face like a wolf. Quite old. Uh, <laughs> me? Me? Hi. Who are you? Guys, would you like to uh, come into the VIP area where the band is going to hang out? VIP. <laughs> yes, I would. <coughs> yes, I W. <laughs> what do I get? Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, down there it was. <laughs> you gave him a hand job to get back into the get back into the VIP room? That's charming. You had to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Fair so Alright. Uh yeah, we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> I call the lights on this one. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, 
drawstring moccasins Mark, and Mark, Mark, leather I don't pants. so much fringe. Look, can you, can you, just... you weren't around when fringe was important. Thanks for meeting me, uh, Cheryl. Uh, I, I had a really bad birthday. My, my parents are both kind of screwed up. Well, you know, parents. You're the only thing who's me together, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> You are your father! You can't even make secure 